good. Thank you so much, worship team. I mean, what a privilege to be able to come together into this place and worship God. And if you're worshiping with us online, isn't it awesome to be able to do that and know that we are connected, that we're one body. And we have been in a series uh, called Scattered. And I just want to remind you that like our lives feel a bit scattered right now, but we gather to scatter, to gather again so that we can scatter. I mean, the idea of that we're reading about in Acts is that they would gain strength from being together and praying and believing God and hearing the word of God preached and experiencing communion together and those kinds of things. And then they would scatter into their daily lives, into where they worked and played and went to school. And that's like us. And so because Jesus wants us to be on mission with him in the everyday of life. And so uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts. We're going to talk today about Acts chapter 15. Uh, and some of you who are like really good with details know that we covered Acts 13 last week. And now I just said Acts 15. And I know that's like you're not going to be able to like track with me until I explain where 14 went, right? I know, I know how you are. And, uh, but in Acts chapter 13, you'll remember that uh, both Saul and Barnabas, along with another collection of people, brothers and sisters that are there uh, in Antioch, that they are praying and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And that work was to be sent out from their local church and go out into the coastal area of the Mediterranean, into some of the Greek isles, and to preach the gospel to all of creation. And uh, that, that was kind of a big job, you know? And it's a, this amazing story in the book of Acts of these ordinary people, kind of blue-collar workers, tax collectors, a mix of women. Uh, there was one ex-prostitute, several stay-at-home moms, just this group of normal, ordinary people that were called to change the world. They were called to start this incredible religious kind of Christian movement in history. And the story is remarkable because these people are not very qualified, and yet they are called on to go and spread the message that Jesus talked about, his message, the gospel, and to make disciples of all nations. So Acts is this continuation of the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Same writer, Luke wrote both. And in Luke, we see uh, Jesus at work and all the things that he said and he did and the miracles he did. And, uh, and Jesus, you'll remember, said, greater works will you do. Not anything greater than raising somebody from the dead or healing somebody who was blind from birth, but it was in greater in scope. And that's what we read about in the book of Acts is we see this scope now. The disciples are sent out. And uh, the Holy Spirit, it's a book describing the work of the Holy Spirit in and through these normal, ordinary people who are called now to go and change the world with the message of the gospel. And so we see that. And in Acts chapter 14, it's the going out of Paul and of Barnabas. And as they enter into these various towns that they would go to, they had a pattern that you'll read about starting in Acts 13, going into Acts 14, where they would go into a Jewish synagogue and they would preach the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. They would preach about Jesus and they would 
help everyone kind of catch up to date with what happened with Jesus, that he was crucified, and that he was the Messiah, that he was buried, he rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven, and that he gave the opportunity for people to become Christ followers, to have their sins forgiven, not just once a year, but forever, and then to be made new on the inside. People were responding to this message. Uh, but what they would often encounter is then Jewish leaders would rise up, feel threatened, feel jealous, and they would persecute Paul and Barnabas, often kicking them out of their city. And then what they would do is they would go to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews. They were often the pagans uh, in the city. They were the, those that uh, didn't have a religious heritage like the Jews did, and they would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are coming to faith by the hundreds and by the thousands. And now there's this huge movement of new Christians, new Christ followers, who are Gentiles, non-Jews. And believe it or not, that created quite a problem. In Acts 15, it's going to answer the problem. Because this particular problem could have derailed this movement of Christianity. And uh, we're going to, you know, we have questions today to answer, right, that Acts 15 can help us with. Like, what role should politics play in church? How should we handle the gray areas? Like, is it okay to drink alcohol? What about marijuana gummies, you know? What do you do if your small group disagrees? And so we're going to talk about Acts 15 and some of the problems that it addressed. So if you have a Bible, open it up with me. Acts chapter 15, if you're at our online campus, just go up and click on the Bible tab there, and Pastor Andrea is there to kind of chat with you along the way, and so let's do that. Let's start, let's strap in. 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, a lot of the first Christians were Jews, and these Jews had been raised by the Old Testament law, right? And these laws were super important to them, very ingrained in their behaviors. And God had given them one particular law, which was called circumcision. And it was a super important one because it really identified that they had separated from the world around them. So a lot of these new Jewish Christians were teaching if you're really saved, you will be circumcised. If you're truly a child of God, then you've got to go and get circumcised. So the Gentile men were not sure they wanted to start their new walk with Jesus with a doctor's appointment like that and a sharp knife. So, you know, the new members class was predominantly probably women and children. In verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, meaning they got into a heated argument, right? Probably some yelling. And Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So there's this important question on the table. Really important. And the question is, do the new Gentile believers... Do they need to keep the rules and the regulations and the rituals uh, that we as Jews were keeping? And the, they said, this got to go up to like a higher level. Let's bring it back to Jerusalem. Has, ask the apostles and the elders to get together 
and make a ruling. So the apostles in verse 6 and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, meaning more arguing and yelling, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you testing God by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor uh, we have been able to bear? There were, keep in mind, 613 Jewish laws. And this was just one of them. There were 612 others. And Peter's like, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have never felt like I have done well at keeping all of the laws, let alone even remembering what they all are. First of all, I can hardly keep them straight. I mean, how long are you allowed to walk on the Sabbath? Where are we allowed to eat llama meat? Or can we have turkey bacon? What about yoga pants? Is that a forbidden fabric or just horrible taste for men? No matter how hard I try, I can't really keep all of the law. I don't feel like I measure up. How about you, Thaddeus? What about you, Bartholomew? How are you guys doing? How do you feel about it? Well, if we could barely keep these rules and regulations and these laws, why would we expect people who are not even Jews to be able to do it? Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. In other words, none of these other secondary things, none of these other things are what will save you or forgive you or, or, or help you become a child of God, but it is solely the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's his finished work, and it's the grace of God, and it's faith in what he has done. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Bar Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And there were many various signs and miracles. After they finished speaking, James, now remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James became a follower of Jesus, became acknowledged his brother his older brother, Jesus, as God. What would it take for you to believe your older brother is God? Wouldn't that take a lot? Like, I'd need to see him raised from the dead. Like, I'd have to make sure he was dead and see him raised, maybe then. But this is amazing because James now, he's a key leader in Jerusalem over the church. And he's convinced in the resurrection. And he is convinced of Jesus Christ uh, being the Son of God. And James says this, listen, brothers, listen to me. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. If you're in your Bible right now, you need to like highlight that, put a couple exclamation marks around that. Nor church, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And often our preferences, our Christian sophistication, 
can so get in the way our comfort zones i mean i think about it even in my teaching and preaching i don't want to make it difficult for people gentiles turning to god and sometimes it's tempting to want to impress you you know with with bible knowledge with bible school with greek and hebrew and but wouldn't that make it difficult for Gentiles turning to God? I don't want to be a church where it's difficult to break into cliques, making it difficult for people turning to God. I don't want to be a church where it's hard to figure out how to get into a small group because they're all shut down and there's no room for people to be able to enter into those various life groups. I don't want to make it difficult. Because there's this facade that everybody's kind of got their act together and their families are great and all of this when really we're, we have a bunch of issues just like everybody else. I don't want to make it difficult for people of color that are turning to God because we have no multicultural representation in our leadership or that becoming a Christian means capitulating to the white culture. I don't want to make it difficult for those struggling with same-sex attraction who are turning to God by stigmatizing that and treating that like it's way different than the, the struggles and the sins that I have. I don't want to make it difficult for people who are Republicans or people that are Democrats, mixing secondary political issues and positions with the gospel message. Our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven and it's very easy to, to confuse patriotism for our country with what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And fighting for our own personal rights, we can mix up with the gospel message. God's kingdom values and the simplicity and the power of the gospel is where we want to stay centered. Can you catch me? Catch that drift? We have a message and it is life and death. And no secondary message, no matter how important, will ever get in the way of that. Verse 20 says, instead, we should write to them, that's the Gentiles, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, that sounds like a very random list. I mean, who's like strangling animals, right? I've never wanted to strangle an animal well there's this one coyote real real coyote i bought a new pair of running shoes had only got to wear them a few times had them on my back porch and a coyote came up and took one of them i went out looking for him and <laughs> didn't happen sexual immorality in the pagan world though was it was common it was normal it was part of their cultural values extramarital affairs premarital sex and he was saying the moral laws of god don't change now you maybe you wonder well why did he call that one out what about like murder and theft and lying and well those were more commonly understood and part of the cultural fabric but sexual immorality wasn't and so this one needed to be honed in on and then what about not eating meat from strangled animals and from blood food polluted by idols well those things were really offensive to the jews and it would cause fellowship problems and that's why this reference of the law is being read and all the jews were raised in this way and he's saying don't make it difficult for your fellow 
Jewish Christians. They have cultural sensitivities. Be gracious towards them. Now, everybody's listening and going, wow, there's 613 of those laws, and you just gave me two. Avoid sexual immorality and don't offend the Jews. That's quite a reduction. That's actually really good news. Verse 22, they sent Judas, not the one that betrayed Jesus, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Hey, guys, greetings. This seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than th these requirements, that you abstain from what was been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from that which was strangled and from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Have a great day. That was like good news to these Gentile Christians. So it says in verse 31, when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And all the men breathed a huge sigh of relief, got on the phone, canceled their doctor appointment, signed up to be baptized. It's cool. By the way, we are three weeks away from a baptism service that we're going to have here on a Sunday morning. So if you have never been baptized, it's an awesome, recommended by Jesus himself thing to do to, to, to display to the world your love that you have on the inside and your commitment to follow Jesus. So I encourage you to sign up for that, uh, northchurch.net, and then just go to the connections tab, and under that you'll see events. The early church, though, was drifting fast from this message of grace. And the truth is that every church experiences this mission drift. And as a church, if we don't recognize the entropy that happens in any church, especially as you get older as a church, if we don't intercept that entropy, what happens is churches, they get off mission. And they begin to make the main message something different than what it ought to be. Let me explain a couple of these drifts. Number one, the drift from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. That's a very real mission drift that happens. Every church tends to do it. When we first start out, everybody just seems so on mission. It's so much about we're going to plant this church and this church is going to meet needs in our community. And we're going to all be inviting. And we're all going to be serving. And we're all going to, because we care. And we, we want people who don't know Christ to come. And we want to help them find him. And there's this pulsating passion that's there. And then what happens over time is that it becomes about something different. And truthfully, I mean, it can happen to me too. You know, I have my own preferences. One of the things, I love to make you happy, Right? I like a good job approval. And here's the interesting thing. Complaints. I've never had a complaint. Never had an email. This is really fascinating to me. Never had an email of someone saying, Mike, I feel like we're not on mission. I feel like this is the mission of the church. We're not doing well with the mission. We should get on mission. I've never had that email. But I've had emails about the color of the carpet about the music being too loud, being too soft, the cross not being on the right wall, uh, emails about the kids' ministry not being good enough, preaching not being deep enough. You get my drift? And it becomes about us. 
we drift away from this passion for people to this thing of, is the church meeting my needs? My needs. Lost people never care about all those ancillary things. When people find Christ, they are so excited that they were dead and now they're alive, that their sins were many and now are forgiven, that they come into a place where they're included and accepted and where they are able to worship God with all of their hearts. I love that spirit. And may we retain that type of attitude. We have to watch for this kind of drift, right? Here's, here's another one, the drift from grace to law. The ones in Acts 15 that were calling on people to get circumcised, they were Christians. They were saved people. They believed that you had to do some extra things in order to truly reflect that you are saved. And it was rules, rituals, regulations. And that's what happens, that we start out in grace and we can drift to law. And our, our, our list is different. You know, I, I haven't talked to anyone recently that made a big issue of circumcision. But we have our own list, right? If you're really a good Christian, if you're really right with God, then you're going to meet with him regularly in a, in a Bible devotion. You're going to read your Bible a lot. You're going you're gonna to be a giver. You're going to be in a small group. You're going to serve. You're going to maybe, you're going to adopt kids. You're going to, oh, have you been divorced? Oh, okay, that's a problem. Oh, do you drink alcohol? Do you cuss? You, are you, are you pro-Trump? Oh, that's right. Are you pro-Biden? Uh, you into mass? You're not into mass? You know, we make our lists of stuff that say, you love God and you love people and you probably don't because of these various behaviors or beliefs that you have. And in their day, it was circumcision. But the gospel is that you are purified the moment you put your faith in Christ and what he has done for you. His last words on the cross, you'll remember, were, it is finished. It is finished. That means that the moment you receive him into your heart, you just ask him in, no matter how lost you are, it is finished means he finished the work. He didn't say, you go and fix yourself and come back. No, he said, no, I finished the work on the cross. The last drift. After you drift from grace to law, we often drift from a focus on internal transformation to one of external conformity. We begin to look around, we begin to measure ourselves against other people, and it becomes more about trying to fit in and more about trying to be like other people, worship like others, pray like others, think like others. And Jesus said that the essence of the law was to love God and to love other people. And everything else was an outworking of that. Sure, the Bible helps us see what truth and mercy and justice look like. But the core is the heart of love. It's the inner motivations of our heart. It's not always the outward behaviors of our life that over time God changes. These three drifts threaten the forward movement and motion of the church. And in Acts 15, that Acts 15 moment, that decision to not make it hard for the Gentiles turning to God was an incredibly important decision 
so the gospel message and the movement of, of, of the Christian faith would continue to multiply throughout the, the whole earth. Now, let me just say, if you're not a Christian, listen, I, I want to tell you what I would love for you to take away from this. God cares about you. God wants to know you. When you were alienated from him, he sent his one and only son to this earth to rescue you. So you can now enjoy a real relationship with him. He loved you. He died for you. And he came for you. And no matter how lost you feel, you can be reconciled to God right now, today, because of what Jesus did on the cross and what he said, it is finished. All of my sin and all of your sin were placed on him at that cross. He didn't say, go fix yourself. No, he said, come to God and then God would begin the process of fixing. And if you believe that statement, it is finished and place your trust in his finished work on the cross, you can be made right with God right now in this moment. And I want to invite you to do that right now. If you bow your head with me, let's spend a few moments praying. If you're a believer, I want to invite you just during this time of prayer, would you pray for those that God is speaking to and just pray that they would turn their hearts to him. And pray for us as a church as well that we would always stay on mission and stay centered on this central gospel message that no other secondary message or preference would get in the way. And if you're not a believer and you've never trusted Christ, this is the gospel. God loves you. He wants to know you. He died for you. And he bore your sin. And he offers to come into your life right now and to cleanse you from all of your sin and to make you new. And you'll change after you become a Christian, not before. And I invite you to just pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you right now to be my Lord and leader. I acknowledge you, Jesus the one who came to rescue me, to die for me, to be the forgiver of my sins. And I place my faith and my trust in you, Lord, not just for this life, but the life to come. I pray in your name, Jesus. And God, I just pray that you will make this gospel message clear, potent, and powerful and beautiful, Lord, as we continue to reach into our community with love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If, if today you opened your heart to God and prayed that prayer, I would love for you to tell me about it. You can on the, on the little uh, communication tab on your chair. If you're online watching, there'll be a prompt for you to be able to acknowledge that you just prayed that prayer and opened your heart to Christ. And I want to invite everyone who becomes a Christian to be baptized. So again, if, if you haven't signed up for that yet, 
do that. That's a powerful statement, a stake in the ground to say, I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. Well, let's continue to worship God. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. And all oh, we live for you. Can we sing it out? Holy, there is no one like. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me.
stand and, and join me as we sing. Thanks again for joining us. We are so glad that you took the time to visit us today. If the message impacted you this morning or if you'd like to receive prayer, please click the prayer link at the bottom of the screen and one of our pastors would love to reach out to you. Also, here at North Church, we believe in connecting in healthy and growing relationships, and we would love to find a way to help you feel part of the life and mission of our church. If you would like to take that next step, please click the connect link at the top of the screen, or for more information, feel free to visit us at northchurch.net or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week.